Amen. <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah. He is risen. Yes, he is. Thank you, Jesus. It's an amazing day that we have to celebrate today as we gather together in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. All across the earth, people are celebrating today, and we join with them as one voice for one king, for one faith, one baptism, one truth, one God, as we declare the glory of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to say welcome. Glad you're here today. Welcome. So happy to be with you and celebrating this greatest day in the history of all time. Amen. Amen. We tell you weekly, it's printed on all of our material, it's on our website, our app, you should all have that downloaded, know what's going on all the time, but here you go, we're not a perfect church, we're not a perfect people, we are here because we know we need God's help and He's provided that help through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We know this, and we are here to be changed and transformed by the power of our living God who loves us. I'm so glad for that. Each week I ask you some accountability questions and ask that you would uh, respond to those accordingly. So I'm going to ask them to you this morning. Did you spend at least five minutes a day, at least five days last week, listening to or reading God's Word? If you did that, say yes. Yes. Did you share a God story with someone this week? Yes. Did you spend some time alone with Him this week with no agenda of your own, just to be with Him? Yes. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you? Oh, yeah. Are you giving as God has asked you to give in time, talent, and resources? Yes. Did you invite someone to church with you this week? Yes. Have you been praying and working on God's goal for us, for each one to reach one and teach one according to the Great Commission in Matthew 20? Have you been doing that? Yes. Awesome. Keep after it. As we join with the church to celebrate this King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we are celebrating that Jesus Christ is indeed God, that He died on the cross. He was born of a virgin, died on the cross for my sins and yours, arose from the grave, conquering not only sin, but death, taking the punishment of God for you and I, for the entire world, upon Himself. That just as Jesus Christ declared that He would ascend to the Father and send the Holy Spirit on the 40th day, He ascended into heaven, recorded in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when He tells them, wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, You'll be endued with power, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus ascended into heaven. Angels tell him, why are you looking up? He's coming again. They go and they wait, and they're praying in the upper room. And on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell, the fulfillment of God's plan. The incredible gift that God gave to us all started way back in the very beginning. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe the Word of God is truth. I believe that it is God's Word given to me and you. And it gives us the word of life. All of it is true. It is not an allegory. It is not a story. It is a fact. And so in the very beginning when we were created, God made us to have a relationship with him. When he tells us that he created all things. And then he formed Adam out of the dust of the earth. And he breathed into his nostrils and became a living soul. God gave us life. We were given his sovereignty. His godness was placed within us as we came to life. Then God took one of Adam's rib and made Eve a woman and brought her to him, and she became one with him. God did that. I believe it. It's not just a story. It's a fact. And so what happened is Adam and Eve were given dominion on the earth, authority and power over the whole globe, everything here, including the animal kingdom and all of its resources and everything that is here. There had been a war in heaven, between Satan and God, as Satan desired to be God and take the throne. 
The Word of God declares to us that Satan and his followers, one-third of the angels of heaven followed him in his revolt, were thrown out, and they ran upon the earth. Satan came to Adam and Eve to deceive them, for his desire was to unseat God and be God. Therefore, when he tempted them with sin, what he was asking Adam and Eve to do was to reject God as he had, And in their ignorance, this revolution of me, God, not you, God, actually gave Satan the seat of God on earth. We gave him authority and power and dominion that God had given to us. We surrendered it. Satan then sat upon the throne of earth. God sat upon the throne of heaven. And life was taken from humanity. Now, here's what we read in the word of God. That as God created Adam and Eve, and he had them there for relationship, it tells us that in the afternoon that God himself would come and walk with them and have a conversation. On the day that Adam and Eve sinned, God showed up like always because he had made us for relationship. But when God showed up, they didn't. They were hiding. Because they had sinned, they had put fig leaves on their bodies and they were hiding because they could not be in the presence of God for shame, guilt, and conviction and brokenness was now real to them. The rejection of God was now realized within themselves and therefore they were hiding from God because they knew they could not be with him. When God called to them, where are you? Church, hear me. God desired and made us for relationship. Sin broke that relationship and did not allow us to have that communion of love with God. That's why we were made. Okay. I believe that's not just an allegory or a trail. I believe it is the account of humanity and where sin entered the world. It was there in the garden that God promised that he would send a deliverer for our issue. Thank you, Jesus. Today, there's a battle that rages. It's not just a spiritual battle. There's a human, physical, worldly battle as well. There are wars raging in the spiritual world where the Satan and the demons are real. There are angels and God is real. And we are real. And that war is raging around us. And sometimes it manifests itself in the human element. This morning, I received an email from our missionaries. And um, in Sri Lanka this morning, you might have seen on the news where the bombs went off and the churches over there to to kill Christians and some of the hotels where Christians were going to be able to travel to the churches and uh, there's multiple people dead and things that were going on there and so the prayer from our missionaries back to us asking us would we pray that God would use this time of persecution to give a platform to the gospel and let us live the faith the way we're called to by Christ and use this to preach the forgiveness of God and elevate Christ in the process. Now, church, that's a tragedy that's going on, but it is a witness to the truth of the conflict that is happening in the world all about who is God and who is Jesus. That war is raging. It rages in the heart of all humanity. It it rages in every race and people. There are no country boundaries where that fight is not happening. It's everywhere all the time. Now then, as we look at that condition and our brokenness and our surrender of the authority of earth, God said, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to send a Savior. And the Word of God declares to us that God Himself became flesh through the Virgin 
the prophet Isaiah declared to us, the virgin will give birth. Because he had to come as the second Adam. That's what the Apostle Paul in the New Testament calls him. Because he had to be the sinless man to come to pay the price for sin to allow you and I to be able to enter back into a relationship with God that we were made to have. Therefore, Jesus was born of the sin of a woman conceived by the Holy Spirit within her womb as a virgin. They didn't have sex. God just miraculously made it happen that she became pregnant with himself. He came as a man and he lived his life as a human being, being God to be the sinless sacrifice for your sins and mine. And that happened at Calvary. When we call ourselves Christians, we believe this to be true. We believe that Jesus Christ came from the virgin, that he indeed is God, that he was born through the virgin Mary, that he lived a sinless life, that he died upon the cross of Calvary, that on the third day he rose again just like he said he would, that he ascended to the Father on the 40th day, that he sent the Holy Spirit to us on the 50th day. We believe that Jesus Christ is coming again and we will stand before God every nation and knee and every person will bow that knee and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Church, Today we celebrate the day of victory for global earth, the defeat of sin, and the offering of redemption from the amazing God of love. That is what this day is all about. And when we call ourselves Christians, we are embracing all of that truth. You cannot embrace part of it. You have to embrace it all. If you're only embracing part, you're lost. You're believing a religious lie and you're already defeated. I just want you to know that flat out. Not because of Dave, but because of God, God's word and his truth. Christianity is the only faith, only religion, where the God of that religion gave his life for his people. It's the only one. Think about it, church. It's the only one. It's because it's the only one. (laughs) The purpose of God's great love for us and what we celebrate this weekend and on this day specifically was his sacrificial act of love to provide for you all that we would need to enter into a life relationship with God he intended from the very beginning for you and I to receive and to have and to experience. And so as we look at the word of God today and the truth of the scriptures, I want us to understand the battle that is raging right now in this church, outside this church, in the spirit world, in the tangible world, and in all eternity. Let's start with the resurrection story in Matthew 28. Well, I already started, but I'm reading this, okay? Don't get nervous. Early on Sunday morning, by the way, that's the first day of the week. The Sabbath had ended, the Passover complete. Now it's the first day of the week. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. And now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. 
and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened, but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him and grasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and I will see them there. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and the leading priests and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, You must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while they were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. Yeah, there's two stories. The resurrection and no resurrection. There's two stories. The Savior, he's not the Savior. It's the same fight that's been going on since that very moment. The same fight that started up in heaven. The same fight that was taking place in the garden. The same fight that's going on in your heart and mine. Whether to believe that he is or he isn't. That's the story. That's the question. That's the war. That's what's happening. You see, if you believe... All of what God says about Jesus. You have to align your life to all that he says. If you don't receive him, you've got to find an excuse or a reason not to. And therefore, you can choose to believe whatever you want to, the truth or the lie. (laughs) Whatever that may be to you. One of them is truth. One of them is a lie. And we have to choose what we will believe. Now, as we go back here, I just want to tell you, we're, we're going to answer that. All of us, we will. There have been countless scholars that have tried to discredit the word of God. Some of you may fancy yourself to be knowledgeable in truth and history and God's word. Our universities are packed with professional professors who have the highest degrees bestowed upon them by humanity who deny God, deny Jesus Christ, deny the word of God, deny the story of Jesus, deny his existence, deny everything about him. And in place of him, they say to us that you need to believe that everything just happened, that we came into existence on our own, that we've evolved into this, and that primates are our closest relative on planet Earth. Now, I'm not making fun. I want you to hear me. I mean, it is humorous, and God laughs at their stupidity, but I want you to hear me. These are the highest level of knowledgeable, wise humans known in our nation. And one of their highest goals is discredit God. And countless many of them have tried to discredit God, discredit Jesus by discrediting the Bible as the word of God. And one of the things that most common people will accept just when they hear the stories is they just say it's a book written by man. And one of our biggest things is man wrote it. It didn't get written by God. I want you to know humans wrote it. They did. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They did. 
to give us the message of love from God so that we could know him. Now, it is discredited often, and many have tried to attack the word of God to discredit who he is, what he did, what it's all about. And here's what I want you to know. God is so awesome, man. I mean, you do know that, and if you don't know that, you should. God's awesome. One of the, the, the books that goes under the most scrutiny and has gone under the most attack is the book of Isaiah, the prophet. I read your scriptures last Sunday on the triumphant entry. How clearly Isaiah's prophecy spoke about the coming Messiah. Remember when we read those scriptures when he said, Zion, Jerusalem, behold, your king comes to you humbly as a servant, riding upon a colt, a mule. Behold, the colt of a mule. He wrote so specifically that the city would uh, erupt in celebration, their king coming. On the triumphant entry, which we celebrated last week, Jesus fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy word for word. Isaiah is also the one that said that he would be born of a virgin. And so, because Isaiah has such clarity in his prophecies about the coming Messiah, and because Jesus is the fulfillment in perfection of what Isaiah wrote, the whole world wanted to disprove the book of Isaiah, because within it, the glory of God is seen with such clarity, it is undeniable for us to discredit what it says. Therefore, humanity would say, that was not written when they say it was written, which would have been several hundred years before Christ. I'm going to guess how you I'm saying four to 600 years, I think it was. That's just going off my memory. Don't trust that. You can look it up. Uh, that Isaiah wrote his book before Christ. So, our wise scholars of this world, some even who proclaimed to be part of the church, began to say, Isaiah couldn't have written that book. There's no way. Therefore, we believe that the prophet Isaiah wrote the first few chapters. But then there were Deutero-Isaiahs, or second Isaiahs, who wrote about Jesus in the book of Isaiah after Jesus. Because of the clarity within the context of those scriptures and how clearly they declare who in Jesus was and what he would do, they said it had to have been that there were more Isaiahs, and therefore the secular world and many church leaders said that the book of Isaiah was not fully written, all 66 chapters, until around 500 A.D. after Christ's death. And so, for generations, people looking for a reason not to believe God, to discredit the Word of God, believed these stories. Not only that, but also church we need to know this as well. There are no actual original manuscripts of any of the books in the Bible. None. We have none of them. There's no way you could. They were written on papyrus, animal skins, and things that fall apart. So none of them exist. That's why there are scribes. And when you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus was engaging in conversation with the scribes. The scribes had one job to write the word of God. They hand wrote all of the scrolls 
of the Old Testament, and then when the New Testament came the same way, writing them word for word over and over, so that the scrolls were kept within the temple, the priests, the Levites, the teachers of the law had access to the written word of God to communicate that word to the people. That's the way it was. And so our wise scholars say, there's no way, some of you may think this too, there's no way that they could have written the word of God and kept it intact and correctly translated for you and I today when it's been going on for hundreds of years. Y'all played those games in, in, uh, in a group and where you say something in somebody's ear and they're supposed to tell the next person. Ten people down the line, you don't even know what they're saying. So they're saying that's the same way it's going to be with Scripture. There's no possible way it can be clear. All right. It also lends itself to have private interpretation, the inserting of my truth, what I want you to hear, what the church wanted to manipulate people with. So the, the book of Isaiah, because of its clarity, has been under great scrutiny for generations. Within the context of the scriptures, in the book of Isaiah, it talks about a suffering Savior. Remember last week, on the day of the triumphant entry, everybody was looking for an earthly king, a celebration of ascension to the throne. But Isaiah wrote a whole different story about the coming Messiah. And this is what he wrote. I read to you Isaiah 52, the end of the chapter, into chapter 53. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. Church, we're talking about the death of Jesus and his suffering prior to the cross when they beat him. Isaiah said in that moment, you wouldn't even know he was human and you'd never be able to identify him when you look upon him because he is so disfigured from his assault coming against him. Let's keep reading. He will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence for they will see what they had not been told and they will understand what they had not heard about. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Isaiah says he wasn't good looking. He was just an average guy. There was nothing in the flesh that would draw you to him. This is what he's telling us about Jesus. Check it out. Let's see this now. He was despised and rejected a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was in our weaknesses he carried. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. Remember that on Friday? crushed for our sins he was beaten so we could be whole he was whipped so we could be healed all of us like sheep have strayed away we have left God's paths to follow our own way yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all he was oppressed 
and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Isn't that awesome? Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate to take him and put him in a grave where no one had ever been. His own, a rich man, placed Jesus' body. This is what the prophet Isaiah is writing to us. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. Oh, thank you, Lord. He will enjoy a long life. And the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was accounted among the rebels. Oh, he was crucified with two others. And he bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. Oh God, don't lay this sin upon them as they were pounding him to the tree. There's no way, see, unless it was God that would write these words hundreds of years before Jesus that he would fulfill to the T the words that God had declared through the prophet Isaiah. The depiction of the Messiah's suffering is so clear and the purpose of his suffering for taking away the sins of the world, all sin, is so clear that even unbelievers see it and therefore they deny it saying it could not be because they do not want to have to accept that it is and therefore they would rather try and reject it and declare the untruth in Isaiah, saying it had to have been written afterwards because there's no way someone could have done all that and have it written hundreds of years before it actually took place. No way. There is a way. It's God. But we want to declare that He is not God, and therefore we cannot own the truth of what God says. Now then, when we consider this, the fact that they believe that there were multiple Isaiahs, that it's subject to man's writing and the errors of the way and all this stuff, I just want you to say that God is good. And God is good to His Word. Church, I believe God's Word. I know it's His Word and I know it's truth. Now then, after decades and generations of people trying to deny God's word, God, the book of Isaiah, specifically because of the context. Here's an event that takes place in 1947 by the Dead Sea outside of Quamran, I think is how you pronounce it, and there's some shepherds out in the field. One of the young shepherds picks up a rock and chucks it in the cave like any guy would do. Here's a crash in there that sounds like something breaking, walks in, 
And here hidden inside the cave is a bunch of clay pots. Inside the clay pots are a bunch of writings, scrolls, manuscripts. Many of you have heard of this, the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Upon further investigation, as they began to excavate this cave, 11 caves are found in that vicinity containing contexts of writings. The most fascinating discovery of all the Dead Sea Scrolls, and there are many, the oldest manuscript found, the only manuscript found in completion, just so happened to be the book of Isaiah. Listen, this is cool stuff right here, you see. We had nothing tangible, nothing physical in our generation that predated Christ. Nothing. Therefore, the claims of science in the world had substance to them for the unbelieving heart. The Dead Sea Scrolls and the book of Isaiah that were discovered predated all of our current literature by 1,000 years. That manuscript, which was found in that cave, predated Christ by over 100 years. I said it predated Christ by over 100 years. Church, the writing of the book of Isaiah, all 66 chapters, were now encapsulated in a cave to say to the world, God knows, God is truth. Jesus Christ is the Savior. He gave His life for all sins, and He is the answer. Could have been anything. It could have been anything, but God preserved the entire book so that we might believe. God loves us that much. Look, man, there's just some amazing stuff here. I just want to share with you that, um, you know, finding these old things and hand to handling them, you know, they'd fall apart. They were written on degradable, biodegradable, whatever you want to call it. They'd fall apart into dust. So they had to be, you know, like very carefully preserved and open because they were scrolls rolled up. So as that began to be unrolled, discovered, pieces began to be released. And, uh, Translators began to translate, and they began to look. The scriptures that I read to you in chapter 53 of Isaiah, when they were translated, here's what I want to tell you. 95% of it was absolutely word for word to what you and I have in our Bible today. All right, hear me, because it's 95%, and say, see, there's a problem. No, listen to me. The 5% that was not exact were letters placed in the wrong spot in a word. The context of chapter 53 that you hold in your Bible is the exact context and exact words and the exact interpretation that was predating Christ by over 100 years. Church, I say that to you because I want to encourage you to know that you can trust God's word. Oh my goodness, man, it's amazing. I want to show you something. Did we get this up for this service? I forgot to tell you, so maybe not. Oh, good job, guys. You're awesome. When you, later today, not right now, go on a search engine on online, 
you can just simply type in the book of Isaiah, Dead Sea Scrolls. And one of the things search engines will bring up what's behind me right here. You see that on the very bottom, the drums are kind of blocking it, but there's a little slide rule there. And if you put your cursor on there and you can slide it, what that'll do is it'll unroll and roll the entire book of Isaiah for you. And you can see it in the original context and condition from when it was found. That was written prior to Jesus walking on the planet. And what you're looking at right here in front of you is the exact section of scripture that I read to you this morning. I look at that and I'm like, God, you're amazing. It is so amazing to me that our God, who has done so much for us, in all of our disbelief, and all of our rebelliousness, and all of our wanting to be God instead, and all that we are in our rejection of Him, would love us so much to do all that, but then to like, hey dude, put that in that pot right there. Go stick that in that cave over there. Hide that behind that rock. There's some people that need some help. I mean, think about it. And then there's this shepherd running around, you know, chasing sheep, thinking his life is meaningless. I hate my job. What's the point of doing this? I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> Throwing a rock, and then bam, here is the greatest discovery in modern history where we look and find the message of God's redemption for you and I. <laughs> Just another ordinary day by another ordinary event, by an amazing God who loves us. We've been talking about the Spirit-led life for several weeks now. I want to jump into the book of Acts real quick. like, And as I jump into the book of Acts, there's a reason we're going there. As we understand the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus is seen by over 500 at one time, the apostles, the different ones, many witnesses to His resurrection. He calls them together. He tells them He's going to go. He's going to come again, but don't worry, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Just before He ascends, I already referenced it. He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Wait for the promise of the Father. You'll be, fulfilled. You'll be filled with power. You'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other most parts of the earth. That's Acts 1.8. Then we go into Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost. Jerusalem is filled because people are coming to celebrate the festival of weeks from the Old Testament law of God. The day of Pentecost, the day of 50. And here we go. Spirit of God falls in the upper room. In the, the scriptures of Joel, Peter preaches to them and says in the last days, church, the spirit will fall upon all flesh. I want you to know from the day of Pentecost forward, we are in the last days from that moment forward. Peter declared it on the day of Pentecost and he said the Holy Spirit would fall on all flesh, all humanity. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, right? So the Spirit of God is out there calling hearts to believe in Jesus. He said the Holy Spirit would convict of righteousness, of righteous life. And he's saying that the righteous life or the Christian life is now available in God. And that the Holy Spirit would convict the world to let them know there's a coming judgment. This is what he told us, right? So Acts chapter 2 is happening. Spirit of God is now, think about the city of Jerusalem and what it's been through. Triumphant entry was last Sunday. Woo! He's king. This weekend, he's dead. 
Everybody's saying, He's alive. Then they're going around talking about this and the Spirit of God falls 50 days later. And now the streets are filled with a message and lives are being changed. They're beginning to understand, oh, that's what God was telling us about the Messiah. Oh, Jesus is the Savior. Everybody's talking about it. Jerusalem is being moved by God. People are being saved. The Spirit of God is moving. People are being baptized. We have a baptism next Sunday. And he's doing all this stuff going on. And as he's moving through, man, yeah. God, stay with me. Spirit of God's moving. The power of God to witness. Persecution begins to come against the church. Why? Because there's a battle raging, man. The enemy wants to deny Jesus. God is saying He is. The church is declaring He is. The world is saying He's not. This war is raging. It begins to persecute the church. The word of God is being moved. Peter and James stay in Jerusalem, the head of the church, but people begin to filter out. Where? Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, right? Just like Jesus said. As you travel into the book of Acts, you'll find Philip the evangelist preaching the word of God about Jesus Christ. Where? In Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. He's preaching Jesus in Samaria. If you don't know the history of Samaria, a bunch of Um, half-breeds, that's what the Jews would call them. They were part Jewish, but they weren't pure, so they were like dogs to them. He's preaching Jesus, the Messiah, to the Samaritans, telling them he's your Savior. A revival breaks out in Samaria. The word of God is spreading, and the city is turning to Christ, believing on him. In the midst of this, Philip is preaching Jesus. The apostles come down. There's a move of God happening in Samaria. And in the midst of this great revival where the city's being transformed, the Holy Spirit says to Philip, Philip, I want you to leave town. Get over there on that street. Hey, how many of us would have said like, hey God, wait a minute. There's some God stuff happening here. And and I'm in the middle of that and God's doing it. Philip, here, let's read this. There's a reason we're reading Acts chapter 8. It's so cool. Check this out. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Kandik, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside that carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, Do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, How can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. Check it out, church. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? I love this response. So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, yeah, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down to the water, and Philip baptized them. Church, 
I want you to know, when you hear the good news of Jesus Christ, your life is changed. You will not be the same. You can't believe the same things you used to believe. Your life is changed. And once you understand that and you are changed by Jesus Christ, it is then you get baptized. Churches have even screwed this up and it's all over through the Bible. We're trying to tell you, get baptized and then you can believe. It's, it's not even right. It's not in the Word of God. You need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, that you've been forgiven of your sins, that you get it, and then you get baptized. That's what happened in Pentecost. That's what happened all through Jerusalem. That's what was happening in Samaria. That's what's happening to the eunuch. Man, we're going to baptize your baby so you can feel good about yourself and know they're going to heaven. Where's that coming from? Not the Bible. Come on, let's own the truth of God's word. We don't want to just get comfortable in our own belief system so that we think we're right with God. God did something so that we could be right with Him and that we would know we're right with Him. And what is right with God is God's law, not mine. See, to believe in Jesus is life change. One of the guys that helped take Jesus down off the cross was Nicodemus. You'll read about him in John chapter 3. He came to Jesus and says, how can this happen? How can I enter into the glory? He says, you have to, Jesus says, you have to be born again. He's like, how can I get back into my mother's womb and be born again? He said, no, you have to be born the spirit and the water, right? He says, there's got to be a renewal, a change, transformation, a new life. That's what Jesus was teaching. That's what Jesus came to bring. That's the only message the church should be preaching. That's what you and I should be living. And if we're not living a life transformed and changed, we're not living the gospel. We're not living God's word. See, to say I believe is nothing. Satan believes. James writes to us in, in I believe it's this, somewhere between the third and the fifth chapter. I know it's in there somewhere. You can look it up later too in your little search. But he says, you believe, great, so do the demons. So what? So what? Unless you believe to the point where your life is transformed and you're living the truth of God's word and the gospel, then don't even tell me you believe. He said, unless your life matches what you're talking about, this is Dave's translation, shut up. All right, And that's said in love, and I mean that. I'm saying like, you know, we're either living or we're not. Don't talk about it if we're not living it. Embrace Him and let Him change you. See, there's repentance, baptism, life change, and serving God on His terms, not mine. See, it's a life of surrender, while at the same time, it's a life of purpose and fulfillment. So, here we are. <laughs> We believe. We celebrate. He's risen. He's alive. We want to claim the victory of Christ over sin and death. We want to claim the free pass into heaven. But with that, we have to claim the life He's called us to live. The life of transformation. The life of change. All right. So in the context of God's word and God's truth, I ask you, church, do you believe that Jesus Christ was born of the virgin? That he lived a sinless life for you and I. Yes. 
that he is God in the flesh as man paying the price of your sins and mine in his death on Calvary. Do you believe that he rose on the third day? Do you believe that he ascended into the heavens to sit on the right hand of the Father to ever intercede for you and I in the 40th day? Do you believe that he sent the Holy Spirit to fill the believers to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment? If you believe this, are you living it? See, if you're living it, then church, we are the living message of Jesus Christ. Just like he told us we would be the light and the salt of the earth. That we are to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the world around us. We need to begin to proclaim that truth. My question is, how has your life changed since you met Jesus? Many people talk about my life changed when I met Jesus. And then I'm going to ask you a follow-up. How is your life changing today? Because you see, because I was born again and began a life journey with him, that was the immediate change, the 180 that I did. And I turned from my sin in my life. And now I'm walking with him. But as I walk with him, as Ephesians 4 taught us, and we read the scriptures in the last few weeks, where it talks about me being born anew and no longer a child, but growing in my faith, maturing, and our goal as God develops us is Christ-likeness. So therefore, church, I'm asking you, how are you changing? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. The universal gospel, John 3.16, is the golden text of the word of God. Church, hear me. The church, I mean, this is nuts. It's crazy how we do stuff. There are theologies which are beliefs in God's teachings of the word who teach that it's preordained who would be saved and who wouldn't. And only those God has elected to be saved would be saved. And the rest of us, we're going to hell. There's nothing to do about it. So now that's a theology that is taught and believed in many Christian churches. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God gave us a global call to himself that covers every race and every people. There are people that believe that some races can't be saved. God forgive us for our stupidity. For God so loved the world. Come on, man. And then there's other people that we're going to always argue about this stuff. It's like, oh, I don't want to believe. So therefore, how can a loving God put someone in hell? We don't believe in hell. There's only heaven. You know, there's churches that teach that. Everybody's going to make it. I've yet to go to a funeral where someone didn't tell me they're in a better place. A lot of them aren't. Just telling you. We need to wake up, church. This is what the Word of God says. God won't throw anyone into hell other than the devil and his demons. But there will be many people that follow the devil. Remember the war that was going on? We gave him authority. We broke our covenant with God, that relationship in sin. John three sixteen, when it tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. John three seventeen but that the world through him might be saved. So here's what God did. He said, you guys are in trouble. There's no hope. I'm sending you your hope. 
You're already condemned. You've condemned yourself. Here's a lifesaver that I'm offering to you so that you don't have to stay in your condemned state. I'm offering you life. Come to me. So God says, I didn't come here to condemn you. You're already condemned. I'm here to save you. But he doesn't end there. In John 3.18, he says, those that believe are not condemned. But those that do not believe are condemned already because they do not believe in the one and only Son of God. See, anyone that goes to hell will go there by their own choosing and the rejection of God's Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the way it's going to happen. So it's not like God's going to be going to hell. People are going to be jumping into hell based on their own decision. Now hear me, church. Think about this for just a minute. God is saying to us as his people, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, uh, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. You need to go out there and let people know Jesus is the Savior. That's our call. That's his purpose for us. Now we know we need to share. It's not just good enough to live the life. You have to live the life. But you also need to share the word. Don't share the word without living the life, but make sure you share the word by living the life. Let's do it, church. This is what God's called us to. Let's visit the eunuch before we close here for just a minute from Ethiopia. Check it out, church. It's so cool. As we read that account in, in Acts chapter 8, and the word of God and the spirit of God comes to Philip and says, get on over there. Do you remember what we read there? It says the eunuch had come from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship. Here's the truth. He knew there was a God in heaven, and he knew the God of Israel was the one true God. He went there to worship God. He was searching for truth, but he had not found the truth yet. God knew his heart wanted truth. God takes Philip and says, give him truth. Philip goes and preaches Jesus. The eunuch meets Jesus on that road and is baptized, travels back to Ethiopia with the good news of the gospel. The fulfillment of God's entire plan is brought to Ethiopia through one guy and one guy and their obedience to the Spirit of God. So, when we ask you the accountability questions, are you spending time in God's Word? Are you listening to God? Do you know what the Holy Spirit's saying? Have you shared a God story with someone this week? Listen to me. God has a eunuch in your life this week. Someone that wants to know truth, that's looking for answers. They're seeking with all their heart. They don't know what the answer is, but they want it. Will you hear him? Will you hear the Holy Spirit when he says, go over there speak when they open their heart will you share Jesus with them that's what it's all about this is where it gets quiet in the accountability questions it's important that we know the truth it's important that we live the truth it's also important that we share the truth it's the full package this is what it's all about today this is where God has called us. So who will you share him with this week? If you don't know him as your savior, I want to invite you to know him this morning. In the church, we call this the altar, the front of the church. 
Lots of reasons for that. It doesn't matter. You don't even need to know that. I don't even care. But if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if your life has not been changed and transformed since you knew Him, you need to know Him all over again. Come and meet Him this morning. Would you stand with me? Those of you watching online, I want you to know the Spirit of God is right there in your home with you as well. And God is calling you to Himself. If you don't know Jesus, you need to. I'm inviting you all here in this building to come to the altar. Those of you that are home, I'm asking you to just come before God right now in this moment. And if you don't know Him, meet Him this morning. I want to introduce Him to you. He loves you. Would you come? Is there anyone else in the house? Father, thank you. Thank you. God, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Transform our hearts. Transform our lives. Let us be the living church, the light and the salt of the earth, the truth of the gospel. As we leave here today, we with our families. Those that are lost that do not know you, help us to be bold in our faith and share the good news with them of the Savior that we love and that we serve. And these that are at the altar this morning, God, you and your power of transformation, I ask you in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, come and transform lives for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church. Thank you so much for being here. God bless you. Have an amazing day with him today. You're dismissed. Thank you. Lord. Hey, good morning.